Woo, guess who? What? Guess who's here? Guess who's here? Welcome to the More Than Words podcast. You know who it is, but we're gonna tell you anyway. This is I'm Shara. And I am Liz, and I'm so excited to be here, Shara. It has been okay. I know we caught up last week. I get it, but I also feel like the weeks, like the the seven days between when we catch up. I, and I know I, there's voice notes, there's text messages, there's video calls and everything like that. But th- there's never like a one-on-one catch-up. We're always doing something, we you can. know. So I'm excited to be here today. We have an exciting episode. Yeah, I am too. I miss you. Listen, I'm going to say it out loud. I'm going to say it loud and proud. Listen, I miss you, girl. And for y'all don't know, me and Liz, we usually say we have voice notes, text, everything. But we are in our busy season. Um, thanks to our clients. Thank you so much for keeping us busy. But this is our busy season. And so we're super excited about it. But at the same time, it's reducing our um, girl catch up. So listen, Liz, I just wanted to say that loud and proud that I miss you, girl. And also I got spoiled because I saw you not too long ago. And now I'm like, where's my girl at? So I just want to throw that out there. But I hope, listen, if I don't say nothing else before we get to this auntie moment is, listen, cherish all the time that you have with your friends right now, because people are getting back outside. Now, I don't know about y'all, but my folks is getting back outside. It is harder to lock them down. So cherish the moments they, they squeeze you in for any time of face-to-face or, you know, whatever that is, right? Even if it's quick, FaceTime, et cetera, et cetera. So listen, I see everybody outside. I see y'all. I see y'all, but I need to be- And the weather's to be getting like, nice. I want my QT. I want my quality time. You know what I mean? <laughs> People are really busy. When I was back in Houston, people were really busy, more so than, and it's such a shocking because we had years in, recently where people weren't. And it was just, I kind of, okay, I don't miss COVID and I don't miss like, I you, know, you know, it's coming. <laughs> I, I don't miss like the, you know, having to wash my hands 50 billion times or uh, sanitizing everything or having a, I mean, this is crazy, Shara. Like we had a, a, a assembly line you know, they would drop off the groceries, you would pick up the groceries with your gloves, you would wipe them down, you'd pass them over, someone with clean hands and new gloves would put them in there and then put them up, you'd like vinegar everything, <laughs> you know, I mean, first, what first were we doing? I don't miss one, that part. That's still being done, that's still being done. Oh, I see, okay. I'm not, I've, I've, I've gotten back those, you know, 30,000 hours that I lost <laughs> in assembly life. I, I, I claim those back. Okay. Really? So you took I, it back? No, I'm you not doing it. it. I said, forget it. Take me. Take me, Lord, if this is listen, what's going to be. I know listen. you don't like that when I say things like that, but that's what's going to happen. Listen, I'm, I'm, listen. Yeah. God already, already talked to him about that. So we're going to ignore you on that part. <laughs> so, um, you know, I got the main She's line. Calling I don't a bluff. Know about y'all, but I got the main line. Um, but no, listen, I, my, I still do it in my family. We still do it. Like, I'm not going to lie. We still are like kind of a little very vigilant around that. But I ain't gonna lie, it was hard for me to suspend judgment when he was like, I'm not washing my hands like that. I was like, oh no, sis. I was like, something came up. I'm washing me. my hands. Hold on. I'm, but I'm not like, I was like, let's make sure we clarify. No, 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 no. I'm not doing, doing the assembly line. Not I'm not doing line. I'm okay. not doing the grocery assembly line. That's what no. Thank we're you. washing let's our clarify. hands like multiple times here. Okay. okay. We got dirty little short. kids that, you know, have to bring everything in. So People, people, wash your hands, okay? Y'all heard uh, my, you heard what she said. My friend said she washed her hands. So whatever you thought you heard, you did hear, and it's cleared up. I just want to go on record. Okay. Listen, Liz, we could, I, I, it's so good to see you. I feel so good just seeing it, your face. Um, But let's get to the auntie moment because 
since we ain't catch up now, I'm like really interested in nosy. I want to know what's yes. been going on. So, so a few months ago, I think I told everybody and the listeners, I, I, I read a lot. Um, and I, I, it's for our job. It's, it's, it's what we do and we research a lot and, and we catch up on articles. See, I said it. We did so articles, TED Talks, everything. And I read the book, um, The Book of Joy with Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama. You know, I love, I love, and that book is like thick and it's a, it's a lot to, to process. And sometimes you have to go back and read it multiple times for you to, to for it to catch up. Um, we also talked about our tools, right? We have our toolkit when we're going through tough times and sometimes that toolkit doesn't work. And um, we just, pu- we're going to publish an episode um, shortly on specifically that, on how, you know, we're, we're doing all the work, we're meditating, we're journaling, we're reaching out to friends, we're going outside, we're having walks. And there are times where those toolkits, those tools in that toolkit don't, they don't work for you anymore. And so I had that happen this week, right? So we had a pretty big thing happened in our family and it kind of threw us off. It threw our vibe off. It threw a lot of things in our family off. Um, And I, my immediate reaction was crap. I had to go and do all that work again. And then, and I was so like in the negative. And then I just literally just physically just said, stop, stop, right? Like do what you got to do be very methodical, take care of what you got to take care of. Cause ultimately I'm a caregiver and I'm a, a partner in, in, in a relationship right now. So let's handle the basic necessities at this moment and then give yourself time to just like breathe, regroup, and then do what you got to do. So the second day after all the to do's were done for the most part, I, I, I collapsed like I, you know, not like for real, for real, but I like, I just, I couldn't move. I was paralyzed and just, just processing everything. And I let it happen. I absolutely just let it happen. I felt like crap and I was crying and it was just, it was really, really rough. And, and then by the end of the day, I started feeling a lot better. And then the next day I felt even even better. I mean, it's still, there's still something there, obviously, because it was a big thing that happened to us in our family. And then I started thinking about all the things that I'm joyful and grateful for and all the, well, you know, like it wasn't a good or bad thing that happened, but ultimately this and this was the result of it. You know, like we're okay. My kids are okay. Um, I'm not going to let somebody take my joy and I've protected my peace so good that nobody's going to disturb that. I won't ever give someone permission to disturb that peace and that joy. Right. And I felt so proud of myself because this is what we want our clients to get to that. Yes, you're, you're going to go through hard things, your adversity is inevitable. It will happen. There will be things that throw your vibe um, out. But what I want you to get to is to be so deep rooted in your core values that, yeah, you might like, well, you know, stumble a little bit, 
but you're going to get right back up in there. And it's not like this positive talk, positive toxic, toxic, toxic positivity, geez, um, or this fakeness, because my joy was so real and so deep rooted. That's why, like, when you and I kind of chit chatted yesterday or the day before, I can't remember, was and you're like, Are you sure you're okay? And I'm like, Yeah, you know what? I'm good because I can still process this difficult thing that happened to me. And I can still be very deeply rooted in who I am and 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 in my joy and in my peace. So I was so proud. I was like, oh my God, Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama would be so proud of me right now because it was like such the core of that book of joy was was what I felt. So I'm so proud of myself. Let me just say that. <laughs> First of all, I'm proud of you because for real, for real, you know, when I got the call, I was like, okay, high, high alert. This is my friend. She need me, right? So, uh, but to hear your journey and also just to kind of reflect on how you was in that moment, the calm, right? Like there's something about the fact that you've been talking about peace and calm and joy and they're really kind of, they're really showing up um, in moments it, like this. And I'm so like, first of all, happy and, and proud that you're sharing the story. Uh, but also more so just seeing you like, like lean in, like sometimes I don't, for those of you who have gone through coaching or you, you, you understand that sometimes the very things you say that you want to do are the easiest when you have nothing else holding in front of you to focus on. But when something starts to clutter that up, like time issues, whatever the things are, it's just a little hard to put stuff in practice and that's for training or anything like that. But in instances where like the your value system really has to kick in and and when you haven't done the work to know what they are, it's really hard to reach for. Like you could just feel like you are not sure about who you are or wh what you're able to do, your capability. So that values work does make sense. Okay. It makes such a yeah. difference. And it also your kind of neutral approach to life. You know, it doesn't mean like I am a very vibrant, you know, joyful, colorful person. That's just... That's just, and I have high energy, but mm -hmm. I don't have to be extreme on both sides. I can still be that vibrant person and still right. be kind of emotionally intelligent, right? It's like ultimately yeah. we're, we're trying to get our many of our coaching clients and our mm -hmm. consulting clients to be like, okay, let's, let's, you're emotional, yes, because you're human, but yeah. also let's like be emotional and also receptive. So yeah, but, and I think that's a stereotype though, right? That most people would have when you see a high energy person, right? That they don't have instances where, I mean, people can co compare and contrast them to being highs and lows versus that even excited people, people who have high energy have calming, thoughtful moments where they're, mm -hmm. you're not going to get the body language and the same kind of energy in the tone because they too have moments where they need to have analytical space right and so we just have to be mindful of that and not to be like oh what's wrong sometimes it is something but also it could just be like I'm just enjoying me and it's not for you <laughs> like you know what I mean like hey it's for me though right hey thank you and this um, is not for you <laughs> and it's not for you wait I didn't mean say it like that see clients don't listen to me that's not something I tell y'all but that's something I would probably say like, wait, and it isn't I'm, for you okay it isn't, it isn't for you mm -mm. No, see, see I should have said it out loud but I, also, I, I love wanna, it. That was definitely in my mind, right? So I want to acknowledge also, just from when we're talking about um, managing bias and stereotypes, um, and also just in general managing the noise, 
we did talk about the Dalai Lama and no, recently there was some controversy about that. We're not talking about him as a person. We talking about the book and this impact that Liz has had. So if that showed up for you, you want to come back to that and just regroup because we about to have a great show. Okay. With our upcoming guests. So Liz, before I do what I'm about to do with our intro, what, what you got anything else you want to share? Cause I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's let's cause it's amazing episode with an amazing guest. Okay. I'm I'm so hyped. Okay, can I go down? So you go. Tell let's me. do it. No. Me. Okay. Let's do okay, it. Cool. Okay. So first and foremost, this is this guest coming over here, we it's an honor, right? Like this is an honor that this individual said yes to us. We were able to meet. Let me just hold on. Let me take a step back. So first and foremost, at the CDI symposium, first of all, in 2022. So y'all better check those tickets probably for 2023 soon. Um, we were doing our thing. So if you saw us doing our live thing, we was cute. We was ready. We was smashed. And we was giving all the questions. Okay. We was giving our culture questions. But there was an individual while we were in the middle of an interview. Walk in with a winter white. Okay. Winter white. You don't know what that is. That is a, that is a, you can't call it cream. It's a special color. If you know what it is, you know what it is. This winter white suit. And and as soon as she walked in, I was like, okay, who is that? But let me stay present. But who is that? Because she had that Olivia Pope moment. You know, when you walk in, you're like, okay, that is somebody, honey. That is, mm, mm. She coming to handle something. I need to know her. So Liz and I finished our wrap it up. And Liz and I was like, Liz, I got to go see who that is. I mean, because who is that? And everybody keep going over there. We need to know who that is. Like, we don't, we don't know who that is. I go over there. You and also who- multiple people told us, have you met have you met this person? Have you met this person? Yes. We're like, have you met this no. person? Mm-hmm. Right, right. And we was like, I don't know who that is. But in the meantime, hold that. Who's this in this cream suit taking just coming in like this? When I tell y'all graceful, it was just one of them things when somebody walk into a space and their presence is so strong, it it says, I need to know you. So this is how we met our guest. But our guest, who you about to meet, is Dr. Joanna Jenkins. And she is an alumni from Howard University. Okay, Howard University, Robert at DC, and also repping all her students from Howard University. But she also is um, a professor at um, um, St. Joseph University. And she also has other type of scholarships, uh, scholar work that she's doing at Rutgers Center of Minority Serving Institutions. And the reason I'm running down all these things is because you just need to know that that presence came in with her. I was like, I know there's credentials with that suit, okay? That's all of the things. Second of all, she is a TED Talk. She has a TED Talk, 4.6 million, baby. Watching her TED Talk call it Reimagining the Advertising Revolution. Did you hear that? Realizing Advertising Revolution. So you about to get that hot tea about that. And then also we had a preview of an upcoming publication that we'll talk about soon. But I want to just say, that Dr. Joanne Jenkins, please come on, come on with us. But she is one of those people that when I tell you, you start talking to her and you don't want the conversation to stop, just prepare yourself. Get your notebook now. Get your notebook now because you are about to want to just keep the notes. Go on a long walk. It's a long walk. No, you're going to be amped. Did you not feel amped the first time we met? Dr. Joanne Jenkins, you could come on while we uh, sit here and debate you. Did you not feel? But you can power walk. Did you not? Okay, because I was like, okay, please don't leave me. I want to ask more questions. <laughs> Welcome, Dr. Joanna Jenkins, to our show. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. What a amazing and kind introduction. I really appreciate that. <laughs> we told her it was going to be a surprise, so we wasn't giving her anything. She was like a little nervous. She was, like, okay, she was a little nervous, a little bit scared because mm -hmm. we did we did interview Dr. Jenkins um, during the CDI symposium. It was a little loud because there was a lot of music there happening and, you know, there was an active show kind of event but um yeah so we did we did get had a little preview and it was a kind of longish interview but it was amazing and every time we talk to you Dr. Jenkins we're just like filled with joy so now this is this is our time to, so we could share without the music and the after party we could share it with our listeners on all the amazing things that you're working on and your story and everything but you know, as normal, we we typically start with our guests with the diversity wheel, and you had a little chance to kind of look at that. So can you share with our listeners on what are the dimensions that resonate with you in this moment? Well, I just, again, want to say thank you. I'm so excited about our conversation today. As you all mentioned, our conversation before was so great. It was just like we were chatting, having a kiki. So I'm super excited to just continue that. Um, I love the diversity wheel. I love the opportunity to engage in robust conversations about lived experiences, right? So I felt like the diversity wheel was really representative of that, was like a way for me to kind of like find myself, find my experience and kind of dive into the conversation that way. Um, one of the first things that resonated with me was the curiosity, right? Like I saw this, you know, kind of large, robust, creative, colorful thing. And I said, okay, so like, where do I kind of fit in with this? Or like, what stories resonate with me? And um, what I was really curious about um, at this moment is that a lot of my work and explorations in DEI are um, centered in organizational structures where I'm looking at how organizations can hold and create spaces for psychological safety, where individuals can bring all of those elements that make up themselves into the space and really thrive. So creating these spaces of belonging for enhanced performance and optimized creativity, and also ways to like, um, just avoid exclusion, you know, exclusion in the workplace. And so that organizational structure really um, resonated with me. And then also the dimensions of myself as, as a Black woman. Um, I'm African-American. And so like, just understanding um, the interconnected and interlocked experience of a lived reality and not having to feel like I need to pick something, like I need to pick race or I need to pick gender or I need to pick socioeconomic background, but understanding that all of these things interconnect and in many instances are interlocked um, and they create like this new and compounding reality and lived experience. So curious and excited that we can have those conversations where we embrace the wholeness of that situation, the wholeness of that experience. And we're not, you know, like pick one or, you know, really kind of like looking at it from like a binary construct or something in singularity because it might be easier for someone to digest um, it might seem less complicated, but 
in someone else's experience, it's normal. It's a live reality. It's every day. So the diversity will definitely made me feel curious, inspired, and excited. We love, we love that diversity wheel and so many, yeah. And so many of our guests, they just really love it. And I I secretly love, well, not secretly, because I'm saying it out loud now, but I love it when a lot of people are like, it, it really had me think about, about these things. And this is why that diversity wheel and also the core values, when you go and coach or or consult with people and you talk about um, your core values People don't understand that this is this is the foundation and the basis of why you do what you do and how you show up in different places. And I also think it opens up the conversation for other people to see other people's perspectives and their intersectionalities. We I feel like that's the more than words uh, 2023 word of the year is intersectionality. Because, you know, it's it's honoring all those different components. We are not, we're human and we're complicated and we're beautiful and we're wonderfully made. And and we should honor every single one of those dimensions that resonate with, with us, right? As opposed to, like you said, it makes it easier for someone to not humanize you by making you binary, by making you singular and only one aspect of, of yourself. So I love that. So I'm curious to know how how has that impacted you and how you show up in different spaces? That's an awesome question. Um, I feel like the diversity wheel is really great for, you know, kind of just like conceptualizing who I am, but then also you get into the dimensions of like what you do. And so as a consultant, as a researcher, as a coach, as a professor, you know, it it also, you know, feels like that. It's like, you know, um, you're, I'm a professor, but I'm also a researcher. Research is so important to me and contributing to research and creating research and circulating research. So it definitely um, provides an opportunity for me, like you said, to honor that dimension and bring that dimension into the work that I do. And it inspires me to lead inclusively, to teach inclusively, to offer inclusive solutions, and to also create inclusive research because this research in many instances becomes like a reservoir, like it's a repository. It's a space where people can come and be inspired or to say, hey, I have a problem or an issue. And it creates a space of like plentitude. So people don't think that like, oh, this is insufficient or um, this is not enough, you know, like this issue is really complex. This issue is really robust and it needs the same energy when we're looking at solutions to address or ways to improve people's lived experiences. If we understand or have more understanding about a situation in its totality, then we are better prepared to address what what needs to happen in order to like elevate or improve the situation and people's experiences. So I know the listeners is having the same experience I'm having because I'm like, okay, this is why you TED talking. Okay, this is why you got 4.6 million. Okay, because listen, it's the tone for me. It is the, I am the, I have researched, this is my space, the confidence y'all, listen, remember that 
that went to white. Okay. All of this plus went to white. I said, I can't have it. I just can't. I need to know her. Okay. I had to get that out because it was just really, it was moving over me. But I mean, we could go so many places, Dr. Jacobs. I mean, you're talking about the curiosity and research and the impact that it has, you know, on minority, like in, in underrepresented groups being, you know, um, promoted. Um, you talk about organization structures and optimizing talent by with a DNI lens. I mean, and uh, we haven't even gotten to like even CSR stuff and those types of things that we could get to in, in the advertising piece. But I'm being completely selfish because, you know, your new, listen, I need to know one thing. You told us on a discovery call that you recently conceptualized, edited, and contributed to a publication called Insecure. So now, okay, listen, I'm going to start off with this title, y'all, but just hold on because that first word gets you every time you know who we talk about. You know who we talk about. So Insecure Awkward, hashtag winning, uh, a project that you explored around intersectionality in the works of Issa Rae. And for those of you know who Issa Rae is, if you don't know, you better Google now. And for those of you who do know, welcome. Welcome to this conversation because we're here for it now. Um, the project, I mean, you were telling us about the project really ranged about a, a bunch of different top topics like black sexuality, humor, gentrification, race in the workplace, and specifically white allies and, and blackness in digital spaces. And so when you told us about this, we were like, okay, we 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 haven't seen it yet. We need to know about it. We we need to hear these stories about intersectionality and people, specifically, of course, women of color and current issues. But tell us, tell the audience more about it, because when you explored it with us, I mean, the impact of media and the advertising space and hearing, you know, these stories that are typically not told. And also when you say Issa Rae and Insecure, you know, we here for it. It's just like, and here, you know, sit down. I, can you just tell everybody, I mean, we're going to get back to the deepness, but I got, let's, we got to tell about what you're doing. Oh my goodness, thank you. Um, again, another amazing question. And to your point, yeah, I feel like I can talk about this all day. So <laughs> I'm trying to select um some some important points to touch on, but I don't want in any way for these points to like overshadow some other things that won't be won't be mentioned. Um, this project was amazing. Um one, one, just just quickly, I'll say like it was representative of like resilience. Um, we created this project um, during the pandemic and that was challenging to say the least. Um, so we started it, of course, before the pandemic um, and then it went into publication and just um honoring that space for people like what what happened to um historically excluded communities during that time people of color black people women like um people in urban areas teachers media publications so just honoring in that space because it was challenging you know like people were tired you know we edited the book we conceptualized the book contributed to the book and it was about like living our values 
right? Like we talk about intersectionality, but what does intersectionality look like? And that was complicated, right? Even in terms of keeping the theme, like making sure that we had a consistent voice you know, making sure that everyone had a voice, but that the book also had a collective voice, um, that it was focused, um, that we were talking about issues. So yes, the editing process, the writing process, the publishing process, um, and just the fragility of the moment too, you know, because industries were changing so much. Um, you know, one minute we would have um, working with this publisher and then, you know, people's jobs would shift, the normalcy shifted. So so just doing it during that time, I felt was like very historic. And I was like, oh no, the, we this this is going to come into fruition. So that that was one thing, you know, just representative of that resilience. And then also like that um so it was really great in terms of the collaboration. Um, as you mentioned before, like, um, being a researcher, but also being able to bring your voice and your experience into your research. And so wanting to talk about the issues that you find important, and also at the same time, acknowledging that that doesn't mean you, you don't find other issues important, right? So really creating a space for Black scholarship and Black collaboration, and at the same time, creating a space for inclusion, because that specificity that is required does not also signify exclusion. So we had a very... Um, we had a very diverse and collaborative team. And that was one of the reasons why we wanted to highlight the works of Issa Rae, because it was a catalyst to have these robust conversations that we needed to have. Um, and looking at it from a very holistic perspective. So looking at the impact of the media, looking at the makeup of the media, looking at the storytelling, looking at the technology, looking at um, the ownership, what do all those things mean? And how is that different than a lot of stories that we see? And then also making sure that we had the right researchers and authors to bring these stories to the forefront. So we had practitioners, we had professors, we had historians, we had media professionals, like everybody working together to tell these stories. One of the things that's super, I mean, one of the things, there's so, so many things that are significant about this space. Um, but the technology alone, right? The innovation um, of lighting, right? Like that's a lot of things that we don't talk about when we when we talk about visuals, when we talk about creativity. It's like, okay, and how are we gonna solve this lighting solution? Like we need everybody in this space. We need people that know about technology. We need people who know about lighting. We need people who know about artistry. Um, looking at the writing room, right? If we're going to talk about sexuality, like having people who represent different dimensions of sexuality in this room, and then you see how stories change, right? And we look at um, the audience of Insecure and you see like, um, it's very diverse, 
it's very diverse. So um, looking at the media slot, like what type of, of media and product placement is associated with something that can pull numbers that big? Looking at the level of ownership and being able to kind of trace um, the progress and revolution associated with women, women of color and black women being able to own their story, to make money from their story. And then what does that look like putting other people on, you know, in, in, in parallel to that? So creating that space to explore those provocative and robust conversations was another thing that was just really important with this project. Um, and making it fun. That's another thing too. Like um, I love advertising. I love media. And I have a belief that we can learn and be entertained at the same time. And so this was an opportunity to really create space in the public sphere to have these conversations. And what's great about it is that it crosses many boundaries. So it can be something that is just, you know, kind of provocative for conversation. Yeah. It can be something that's used in the classroom to inform people about other people's lived experiences. It's an opportunity to document and witness like a lot of the historical firsts and, um, a lot of the progress from like the black arts movement, you can see a lot of history woven into that. Um, I even did kind of like a trace on like Nancy, Nancy Green, like you look at um, black women who have owned but not been able to be celebrated as like owners um, of spaces and media. And then what that means for, for other people telling their stories, right? We even looked at streaming, like HBO and Netflix, like creating alternatives to um, kind of like narrow constructs surrounded by media. And when you, when you democratize those spaces, what conversations come to the forefront? So, so yes, um, the resilience of publishing during the pandemic, creating spaces to explore these um, intersectional and robust conversations and the collaboration like that fun, you know, and, and creating a space for black scholarship and black research and a space that doesn't mean exclusion. Like just because we're talking about these specific issues, as you mentioned previously, like there were so many issues um, that we got a chance to address and, and it was fun and it wasn't, um, it wasn't excluding in any way. It was very inclusive and we got a chance to talk about some specific and important issues that are not always in textbooks or a part of the public sphere. Oh, Ooh, I mean, I just, tell you. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I just, I just, just had that conversation with someone about how there are things at school that isn't being taught and that you, what we need to do is go to those books where people are researching and really, I've, all my learning comes from books and, you know, that that's where I learn about. And I also love pushing that envelope and having these provocative conversations and pushing that envelope mm -hmm. and and getting uncomfortable with the with the with with the uncomfortable right getting comfortable with the uncomfortable the other thing that I really loved and and what's interesting is in your in in the project um Issa Rae talks a lot about being surrounded by a community of powerful black women 
And it seemed to be that in your own kind of challenge of of being part of this project and your experience in it, you had to also create this community of powerful people as well to support one another. And I know you mentioned that a lot in, 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 in the project where, you know, Issa Rae also talks about how Hollywood isn't representative and of people that look like her. And that's a problem because, and I love that you bring that out in that and, 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 and put the light to that because it's something so powerful. And it's also not just in Hollywood or our media and our advertising, it's in everywhere. I mean, one of the biggest things is like, this is a big deal. If you take about like the little mermaid, right? It's a big deal for young kids to see people that look like them on TV, to people to look like them in leadership roles, because then I can think, actually, I, I can do that. I mean, one of my kind of personal experiences being in corporate America is I never saw a powerful Latina, bright, loud woman in a leadership role until, until one time I did see one, it was a board member and I saw her talk. And in my mind, I said, I felt like I was 12 years old again, <laughs> sitting there. And I was, I was crying. I had to turn my camera off because I was crying. I was like, wow, actually I can be, I can, I can do that. If she could do it, I can do it. And I think the community aspect is so important is is having people that are like minded like you that are going to push you to be better. And it's it's, it's just a powerful theme. Um, One of the things that I'm curious about is. um, How can organizations. Achieve representation that is authentic, that is moving away from tokenism Mm -hmm. and, and that, that is authentic. Mm -hmm. That's another super powerful question. (laughs) Um, One of the things that I do love about powerful questions is that it just, you know, sparks collaboration, creativity, and thinking which a lot of times we kind of jump to an answer. And with the um, with the complexity and acknowledging the complexity, it really kind of, kind of like sparks this energy into problem solving and contemplation. Because when you honor the enormity of a situation, you're just like, okay, let me, let me take a step back from this. And sometimes just let, let the situation breathe. And you see that, some of the issues will rise to the forefront and you'll be able to really um, address what's happening um, in a way that you sometimes don't permit when you think you have the answer. Um, Just in honoring a little bit of what you said earlier about the media and seeing yourself, one of the things we don't often recognize enough is how influential the media and advertising are. You know, it is one of our biggest institutional teachers in society. It has more influence than the government, than religion, than a lot of our financial institutions. It is constantly teaching us. It is constantly reinforcing what is normal 
what is normalized, what our standards of beauty are, how we're supposed to behave, what are expectations and, and behaviors as consumers. So the media and advertising are super powerful. And not only that, like we're constantly influenced by it. So it sets up norms, expectations, and contributes to bias, whether it is, you know, conscious bias, confirmation bias, implicit bias. So when you are in the workplace and you see something that kind of like confronts even an unconscious bias that you have and being able to bring that to the forefront and say like, hey, like I can create or reimagine a different reality for myself in this space. And, you know, what are the ways that we're kind of acting out or behaving in normalcies that we think is our reality? Like, this is what we see. We always see leader, not always, but in some instances, we see leadership looking a particular way. And how much of when we see leadership looking a particular way deviates from how people respond when they see the Little Mermaid looking a different way. You know, it's very interconnected. But um, getting back to, to that question that you just answered, which, yeah, really sparks a level of contemplation of like, how can um, organizations become like more authentic one of the things that I have been contemplating a lot lately is like how we experience things, you know, kind of like the thing, but what also the thing represents and how we experience that thing. So um, looking at cast, right, and like how we experience that. And so one of the things that really um strikes a chord with me when you say what can organizations do is really re-examine um hierarchy um demystify and debunk what we have going on with hierarchy because there are spaces in leadership there are spaces in organizational development and structure um where chain of command and inclusive particularly inclusive leadership um, is essential to communication, is essential to business practices, and it's very solid. But there are also spaces where this hierarchy denotes inferiority, you know, where it talks um, and perpetuates outdated beliefs and toxic concepts, where it dehumanizes folks, where it contributes to inefficiencies, where it creates barriers that reinforce supremacy and the status quo. So one of the first things I would do is like really look at hierarchy and how hierarchy is contributing to positivity and how it can be detracting from, um, from your progress. Like, is it adding value or is it taking value away or detracting from your ability to, to even create or generate revenue? The other thing I would look at is um, developing a clear understanding of how exclusion and racism operate on multiple levels and really evaluating, again, how is that adding value or how is that taking value away? So really understanding how that inhibits an individual, how that inhibits teams, how that inhibits your organizational culture, how does that 
um, impact your ability to have relationships with your consumers? How does that impact your ability to have a brand reputation that contributes to affinity? Um, so just developing a clear and thorough understanding of that value, that dimension, and then also what, what is diversity? What is DEI? A lot of times people, you know, have their own interpretation of it, or you hear it as a buzzword, but do you really understand what it is? Do you really understand the value that it is bringing to your organization? And um, allowing that knowledge to diffuse between um, the multiple levels that your um, organization operates on. And then definitely evaluating your structures and your policies, like throwing out stuff that doesn't work um, and creating space for more collaboration, more creativity, more innovation, which is going to, to contribute to more retention, more loyalty, opportunities to develop the competitive edge and um, empower redistribution. You know, I think that it will create um, stronger efficiencies and I think it will better prepare organizations, teams, leaders to really champion themselves and move forward into um, the future of work, the future now, all of these different dimensions. But I think they'll be better poised um, for success now and in the future. So I'm smiling. If you guys aren't seeing the YouTube, go back and go on to YouTube because I'm my 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 smiles from ear to ear because and then also listen to that whole section multiple times. Take your notes and ask your questions because the way you answer that, Dr. Jen Jenkins, it really showed like your research in it. And it's like these this is data driven. These are the facts. This is this it is what it is. And this is where we're at. And you're really prompting organizations to have a very deep look as to why they're carrying the beliefs that they're carrying and what, how do they want to move forward? I love that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's interesting. So I, I'm sitting here similarly excited, like, okay, I got, I want more tea. Like I, I need some more information. <laughs> like, okay, who, how, what, 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 so who said no? Who said no, they wasn't doing it? You know what I mean? Like, those are the questions I want to have. Because, Me too. You know, the best part of resistance, right? Like, the reason the, that the answer is so perfect is because to to um, to Liz's point, it's like, hey, if we give people tangible things that you can do to be more inclusive in your organization, to show increased representation, and you choose not to do it, right? And then you still ask us, or tell us it's not working, you know what I mean? And you still want to prolong the inevitable, which is the work. So I, I'm smiling more so from a facetious standpoint to say, okay, we keep giving you these tools and telling you how important and valuable it is and how transformational it's going to be for you. And you continue, we continue to have this discussion. But then I, I started to chuckle a little bit because I think about the CSR report. So the corporate responsibility reports. And how we, many companies just like showcase them like as, look at what I'm doing, right? Like, this is my feel good belief system right here. And, and so proud of that potential, that, that pieces, but really at the same time, not, I'm always quite reading them saying, 
who, how much is this is employee driven efforts that's driving and serving this report versus the part that is really enabling your culture and really being a transformative environment that's leading to a lot of these results. So I, I just, all of that is kind of coming up for me as far as when you were having that conversation. But I did want to ask you a question. When you think, when you looked at your research and you see what people are saying and how they're presenting their companies, how much does that kind of play into, you know, the conversations we really do need to have around this topic? Um, I think it plays a central role for sure. Um, research Research is incredibly important when we're looking at um, very deeply situated beliefs, right? Like, so beliefs that may come from um, someone's personal background, beliefs that may people see reinforced within society, things that people learn in school, institutional practices, institutional policies, you really have to have like what we were talking about before, a reservoir of knowledge that people can then learn from to help them reimagine things in a different way. And then also help them to reflect on their own ideology, help them reflect on their own beliefs. You know, reflection is a very powerful tool, but if you don't have the opportunity, the capacity or the knowledge to be able to do that with, then those that ideology remains kind of like centered at the core. So research is important. And, and again, that goes back to what we were talking about before, what topics of research are there for people to review? You know, who's who is um who's reviewing this data? Because you can look at numbers and numbers can say a number of things, right? 49% of people did this or 51% of the people did that. Which one are you gonna look at? You know, is it gonna be half empty? Is it gonna be half full? Like, you know, you could say. 75% of the people are happy, these 15% or this 25% and not advocate for people who are historically excluded or historically marginalized or really kind of say, well, let me see your sample size. Let me see your audience. Let me see where this random population was actually coming from. So research plays a critical role in our ability to understand a situation, but it also plays a critical role in our ability to innovate, right? In our ability to inspire and in our, in our ability to create new um, solutions. Um, I was just doing a case study on some of the business policies and structures of Fenty and that, level of innovation and collaboration, redefining and revolutionizing spaces. I mean, it was, it was phenomenal. It was very similar to like what we saw with, um, or what we wanted to illuminate in um, the intersectional realities and conversations that were a part of, of pop culture um, through the works of Issa Rae. Because if you look at the history of pop culture, traditional pop culture, you might not always see certain stories included in pop culture. 
So what does it look like when these stories, when more inclusive stories become a part of pop culture? So, so research is critical. Research is critical to knowledge and understanding, but it's also critical to, to that optimism, to that innovation, and to you know future inclusion. First of all, you just ain't gonna drop that fancy down like that and no <laughs> just let that brush by. I was like, oh, wait a minute. You can't just talk about Lisa Ray and Insecure and then just draw Fenty on here. Like, I mean, listen, can we get a little sneak? So what did, can I ask the question, what did you, what did you preliminary find? Because as a girl who um, does definitely uses the Fenty project line and felt like her particular shade was appropriately matched more so than ever has been before for the winter Shara and then for the summer Shara. And then also having all these new options to be like, okay, so I can go one-stop shop and I don't have to go six different places. Now, let me not overextend the fact that I don't do makeup very well, but for the things I do, I am able to do. That's where I go. And shout out to my sister who put me on to it. But I will say some, it's, uh, that line tells a story about, I, I'm familiar with that person, the persona that they created, right? The, from the clothes and like the vibe and the everything about it. I, I know the different people that that look or those products serve. And so I don't have to question it. I don't have to run to a different brand and be like, I think this might legit, you know what I mean? Like I found me, you know, and similar to, you know, other products, but more so on the fancy piece. But I'm gonna let you ask that, that question because I know we got to get to talk about your um, TED Talk, but I just got to ask. I can't move on. I mean, what you what you're describing in many ways is like brand affinity, like they got you, right? And that was from and one of the chat. Okay, so I'm rewinding. Like I'm an educator, and I am so passionate about research, right? So I'm just like these two things go hand in hand because they're mutually informative. Um, and so sometimes I'm just like you. Please don't stop my research. <laughs> it's so important. So Fenty is synonymous for that for me, because if you look at the industry standard, right, this is the industry standard. This has become normalized. When you see a cosmetic or beauty brand, you see 10 to 20 shades, 10 to 20 shades. And that was normalized. It was normal for so many people to be excluded. This idea that 10 to 20 shades covered everybody. Well, it didn't and it never did. And so what was interesting, even in the tagline, um, Fenty Beauty for All, right? It's for all. When it was launched, it was 40 shades. And then it expanded to 50 shades. So even this idea, like, I'm going to come out, I'm going to be the leader, I'm going to redefine through research. A lot of this is through research. A lot of this is like, okay, I'm going to look at the market. I'm going to see a gap in the market. I'm going to fill this gap. Um, quality products, um, products that are green, products that are, you know, climate friendly, environmentally conscious. If you look at other products, you don't see that. We're looking at the research now and seeing what these toxic chemicals are doing to people's health, are doing years later. You see these class action suits coming up and you're just like, what is happening? And that ties into corporate social responsibility. That ties into ESG. Like, how is that ever permissible? Um, another thing you can look at is um, concerning the research, kind of like this 
why research is so important is that um, if you look at some of the reports, right, what is, it's not hilarious. This is kind of like your laugh that you had before is that most of the products were never tested on melanated skin, right? So there's no efficacy. So even if these products are targeted towards a community of color or towards people who have melanated skin, as you mentioned, right? I need a winter shade. I need a summer shade. I need a spring shade. Well, no one ever figured that out because you were not a part of the research pool. You were not, you were not considered even in products that were targeted to you. And so it's just amazing to see this revolutionary effort that comes from centering inclusion. First of all, centered inclusion. Ten shades. You had me ten shades. That makes sense why my grandma and them had that red lipstick and then that mauve color lipstick. Everything. It all makes sense now, right? Like I just can't believe we've been in the box so long. Like, uh, yeah, it's taking, it's taking me down. It's taking me down. And I think and it's so powerful bringing that. Oh, go ahead, Doctor Jenkins. I was going to say into to the other point of distribution, like wanting one stop shopping or like even having access. So even if something was available, do I have access to it? Is it a part of the marketing and distribution channels in my neighborhood, in my geographic region? Um, and who made those decisions? Who made those decisions? Was it in a room that had a woman that looked like me? You know, Dr. Jenkins, I when I met you, because I always very was very curious about people who did research and I love learning. It's something that I mean, that I just I've always loved doing since I was a little kid. And then when I met you, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the real job. I'm like, how can I sign up? Where do I go? Can I just volunteer? Where where do I sign up for this research? Because I'm a data-driven person. I I just, I look at data and I think data is everywhere. I come from a numbers background. So data is something very important to me. And I always thought, I'm like, wait a minute. We track data for our customers and our sales and our production. And what, why are we applying this to people analytics? Like people data, right? And so I love the work that you're doing. So if you're taking volunteers, I will sign my time up. <laughs> I know I'm already working an 80 hour job, but I will find I will find time. OK, like I will find time to work on this. One of the things that I loved about what you said right now was not just on the research pool being diverse and inclusive. Also to what I thought of was like, what about the people making the products? And I think. I think when we look at diversity, equity and inclusion and we look at these different topics and going back to what you said way at the beginning uh, during your dimensions that we're looking at the diversity wheel is, and this is something Shara taught me way, way at the beginning is understanding our language and coming up with a shared understanding of what this means and making sure like, okay, once we have this shared understanding of this, of our language and we know what this means to us, who needs to be in the room? Mm -hmm. Who needs to be developing the product? Who needs to be, participating in in the research and then like you mentioned the accessibility part of it I and mean, we had um Shara's cousin on about we talked about accessibility to food and basic necessities 
this is part of it as well too. It's like, how do we elevate voices that can't be elevated and how do we make it accessible for them as well too? So thank you for doing this research and thank you for, for, for sharing this. It's something that you don't think about because something is so normalized. You know, when you're growing up, certain media, certain TV shows that are out there that are dominant and they're taking over and, and you're like, well, this is just what it is. It is what it is, but it's normalized and it's time for us to unnormalize and really think about what reevaluate what normal means to us. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about your TED Talk. Shara mentioned um, this TED Talk, which I've watched like a thousand million times, just so you know, so I can. <laughs> so just so you know, I probably was like a lot of those hits on the YouTube. Uh, <laughs> So your YouTube, your TED Talk is called Reimagining the Revolution of Advertising. And you spoke about, and I am all about my power words. As as a, you, I mentioned earlier before we got on, I was talking about, I'm going to be bold and I'm going to be colorful and I'm going to take up space, right? You mentioned about a glorious revolution in advertising, and how consumers are using their voices to get results. Similarly to social media, we have our influencers that can really, really change the way brands are advertising, how they're showing up in our world. Um, and it seems to me that even, I know that was a while back with your TED Talk, but it seems more that even more and more there is a consumer revolution and it is getting louder. Consumers are really holding brands accountable for it. Um, you also wrote on our uh, guest form, podcast guest form about your value system. We asked this question to all of our guests and you mentioned your values are love. If I can share that, would that be okay? If I could share that with people? Yes. Um, it's love, freedom, creativity, compassion, and education. Do you feel that there's a link between a consumer's value system and products and advertising? Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. And um, I want to say thank you for watching <laughs> that talk. I appreciate that. Um. I, again, am so passionate about advertising and media. I love it. Um, and I truly believe that it can change the world. Like it, you know, it is an education tool. It's a learning tool. It's a connection tool. Um, and so I absolutely um, believe and know that people's values impact how they interact with brands. Um, just to rewind a little bit, um, so I am a media scholar and I do look at cognitive processing and psychology. And so how people, I one, one of the one of the frameworks that just kind of like informs some of the work that I do and, and beliefs that I have is like um that the prevalent type of media that people use influences like their expectations and how they engage in the world. And so as, as we become even more, like you mentioned, like prevalent users of like social media and like one of the larger characteristics of social media is how it happens in real time. 
um, how it um, is, I think it promotes transparency, right? So it's just like, oh, you're doing this. Let me do some research here and let me see if you're actually doing it. And then I'm gonna call you out if you're not. <laughs> so I think it makes us more action oriented. I think um, it makes us um, more geared towards transparency. I think it also influences our expectations in a way where we're all kind of like normalized in this space of being a consumer, so to speak, right? Like a lot of what the media teaches us is like how to consume. It's kind of a fundamental kind of like building block in our society, in our kind of like cultural structure. So like we have these expectations and history, history has shown for historically excluded communities that voting with and navigating with their dollars has been um, helpful. Right. So we look at like even example of like the the Montgomery, Alabama boycott. Right. We see the history of labor relations. We see um, the the great boycotts. Right. And so we see like farmers unions and all these things. And we see how historically excluded communities have said. This is a space where you actually listen to what we have to say and we're gonna maximize this space. And so I think now what we see with different types of media, even in the civil rights movement where you had the broadcast of the Edmund Pettus Bridge, like Bloody Sunday, and how that changed things. So I feel like the media and historically excluded communities and um, voice of people and, has has had a relationship for some time. And we see this relationship now in different ways with social media and what's going on um, prevalent issues right now. And so what's pretty interesting is I feel like we're more action oriented and we're more oriented towards, okay, this needs to happen now. Like, you know, whereas before it was like, okay, well, it, it needs to take some time. It's like, nope, I'm used to this happening now. When I press send, it happens. So this needs to happen for you too. Like, I need this to happen now. And I need you to be transparent. And then I also think we have um, shifts within our spaces of like our values reflecting the desire to put people first, right? And so in putting people first, we see that like um, brands are often saying we may have to wait, but then people are saying, no, we need to do it now. So we see that a lot of people are supporting brands that um, align with their beliefs, uh, um, brands that support, you know, public good, um, and also brands that support and um, treat their people well, 
that was something that kind of emerged in, in 2020 was like this level of transparency and authenticity of like, okay, so you have a brand that you are, you have brand products and services that you put out into the public sphere, but also how are you treating the people in your company? And so I think that that created a space to really examine and a space to promote why all these interconnected things are so important. Like this really um, illuminates what you were talking about before. It's like, well, how, how do I know about these careers? How do I get into this room? And then how, when I get into this room, do I make sure that I am not a token, right? Like that we can have consensus decision-making. How do we have cultural competence? How do we make sure that this, this knowledge is diffused to everyone and it's not seen as the responsibility of a few, but also the desire and want of everyone. Because we see examples of like everyone being happy. So like, let's move to that space. So I absolutely see these values and beliefs um, shifting norms and brands um, Edelman has a great kind of like trust barometer where they talk about how consumers um, like view brands and their expectations of brands. And, and they have um, said that like two thirds of consumers are now saying like, I'm going to support brands that align with my beliefs. I'm going to support brands that align with my values. And so I think what's great about that is that it's really creating um, a revolutionary type of change where we're seeing shifts from the inside out. Um, not to negate the progress previously, because a lot of times we would see some shifts with brands where we would see like, okay, their advertising um, has more people of color or their advertising looks like they're speaking to a particular audience, or you may see some hires um, but now we're getting to a space where we're seeing all of these things more often and that is inspiring. Um, so I think that leads to the innovation um, that leads to a more diversified workforce that leads to more diversified products and, and services and just a space where we can center inclusion. And so we see, as we mentioned before, brands like, like Fenty, where they're redefining this space and, and you'll look at the team, right? You'll see spaces like Insecure, you'll peel back the curtain and see like, what does their writer's room look like? You know, um, there's transparency like, OK, let's look at these salary bands. Let's look at an opportunity to reexamine wage gap. Right. So it really reinvigorates the space and allows us to to have opportunities to have conversations and hopefully movement, progress and reimagination of these complexities where before where people were saying like, ah, I don't know if we can do a salary ban. It's like, OK, well, then let me see the numbers. Let me see what you're paying everyone. And then we can see if we can do the salary band. <laughs> so. And boom. <laughs> all, all of those things. I think if, if our listeners can go back and listen to our our future of work episode where and it, it kind of relates, right, where where people are, they're like, no, it can't happen later. It can't happen in a year or two. What are you doing now? I need mm -hmm. this 
And the pandemic really brought to light all of this. People aren't playing anymore, not just on what they wear and how they stand for and what they what 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 they uh, who they follow. It's like it's everywhere now. So let's, you know, bring this equity and inclusion all throughout this space. I love it. Yes. And I, I would just say that, you know, one of the things that we're going to we're going to wrap up right now, but I'm going we're going to do a quick after show because we haven't gotten to the conversation about the impact of how this is on youth. Right. Like that cognitive process and how these uh, the, these messages and their consumption of it impacts them. So we're going to save that for the after show and you'll have to catch that on our social media. But typically we like to conclude. I mean, there's so many places where we conclude and have a final message, but we like to have a closing reflection. And I'll be honest, I'm going to go first because I'm struggling because there's so many things I want to say. But I would like to just say that. If I don't take anything else away from this conversation other than that you are you and all those researchers who are out there doing this work are so impactful with the 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 fact based data driven efforts that we need to combat some of the propaganda that is out there that is being labeled truth, but that is not backed by any data or research that it means so much to me in this moment. And, and, and I and specifically for uh, the, the communities that are being erased. And so it's, it's right now in this moment that this, all of that came up for me as we talk about companies and their value systems. But I, I, I started to really start to feel the, the resistance, right? That is, I, I deal with every day about being represented or underrepresented so often that then I started to feel the erase. Where was it being erased? Like, why do I not know about the the many black researchers who are out here doing this work, and why aren't their stories being told unless there's under these huge broad names like Fenty and Issa Rae and people who are able to break through? So all the people who don't get that level of recognition. So I just want to close by saying thank you for being the 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 truth teller, right? Right? You know, we talk about griots and traditions, but we need this and we didn't know that we need this. Um, and it really just became very real for me in this moment about, you know, being seen. Like I felt seen here and my my bubble of what I can offer to those in my family is much larger because I can share that they can be researchers and brings forward um, data, facts and, and community. Yeah, I'm going to go influence my children right now to go and be researchers because that's what we're doing at the moment. Um, you know, I want to close off to as well, Dr. Jenkins, first of all, thank you so much. It's been an honor and I can sit here all day long. Seriously, if I can be in one of your classes, if I can be part of your research, I'll do it for free. I'll pay money, whatever it takes to do it, um, because it is, it's such powerful work. Um, the numbers don't lie, period. And it is, and it, you are being a truth teller. And I think it's so powerful and I'm sure it's, I can only imagine how, frustrating yet rewarding this work is for you at times and I know it's not easy um so thank you for for doing that work and bringing it to light and sharing stories from people who you know they that they, they they have their voices aren't heard yet so I think it's super powerful for that so I'd like you to invite you as well if you want to add a little bit of kind of your closing or reflection from our episode today 
I just want to say thank you so much. This has been such an enjoyable conversation. I'm so excited. I'm so inspired by your platform and your work and um, the space that you all create to have these conversations. I'm honored to be a guest and this has been wonderful. And I'm excited to, to chat about complexity in ways where it is digestible, right? Like so often when people start, it's like, oh boy, like, you know, like let's wrap this up with a nice bow on it. But it's just like, you know, we we can engage in complexity and, and we can talk about research and we can do all the things and um and we have time for that. So I, I appreciate you creating time for that. And then also with, with research, um, one of the things that really motivates me and inspires me with research is also documenting and honoring people's experiences. I love qualitative research. So that's just that's just another ad that I will that I will offer because a lot of times when we think about research, you know, numbers are so prevalent and so important. And in tandem with that are the stories. You know, that's that's where a lot of the richness of our culture um, is. Um, that's where the dimension of humanity is. You know, that's that's where art is. That's where our daily rituals are. That's where the stories from our ancestors and our culture reside. So um, I love to be able to, you know, promote both. Yeah. Well, thank well, you so much, Dr. Jenkins. Yes, thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. I know this is a, a, a rich and, and, and long episode, but it was full of, of a lot of knowledge. So just break it up into little pieces, go for multiple walks or come back, have a snack, have a whatever you may be. And don't forget to go to morethanwordspodcast.com. Subscribe, yeah. like, share all these episodes, tell your people and, you know, whatever. So thank yes. you, Dr. Jenkins. <laughs> thank you, Dr. Jenkins.